Thank you, Pastor. It is, as I mentioned this morning, it's good to be back here with you. Um, we've had a quite a long relationship with the church here, and um, we praise God for your faithfulness, his faithfulness to begin with, but your faithfulness over the years in supporting the the ministry there in Madrid. You have a part in that. That is part of your ministry worldwide, and um, we recognize that. They met a little over nine and a half hours ago in, uh, in Madrid, and uh, now it's uh, evening there, and they're probably all, if there's a soccer match on, they're probably all sitting down to watch the soccer match. But um, they, uh, they, know, they know about you, and especially since uh, your pastor was over there, they know of whom we are speaking, and uh, they pray for you, as uh, we hope you pray for us all over there in the ministry. So, um, if I slip into Spanish this morning, Raul is going to uh, translate for me, okay? <laughs> I'll try to keep it in one language. No speaking in tongues this morning. Uh, it's, it's been, uh, I don't know why, it's probably age, but it's getting difficult every time I come back to the States. Each time it's, it seems more difficult. And this time I've preached actually in, um, I guess it's been four times in Spanish. And that just, that throws everything off. I mean, uh, I have a, anyway, so... I have my notes, they're in English, and uh, I will try to stick to the English this morning. I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, and the first verse, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit and of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all the, who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for your word this morning. We thank you that we come before you on this day to remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what it cost him to be obedient to the gospel. Lord, Father, we pray that you would use your word this morning to awaken our hearts, to awaken our minds. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word, that um, it would truly be a work of God in us, not just in name only, not just to have some kind of cultural name attached to us, but that we would truly be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ 
in this world, in this place, in Ferndale and beyond. And Father, we pray your hand would be upon us, that you would be glorified in us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When we come to this book, the book or the letter to the Romans, we come to a book that is full to overflowing. As you, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you, you realize. We come to a section of scripture that is, is um, sometimes very difficult for us to understand. It, um, it is good to remember that Paul is writing to the Romans. That Paul is writing to people, many, many of those people had an education. They were very intelligent. Many of those people, though, were bond slaves. They were slaves in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire at this time was a slave culture. All heavy menial tasks were held by slaves. And there were slaves in this church. There were Gentiles from a Gentile pagan background. There were Jews from a a Jewish Old Testament background. He had all kinds. But he writes to these people, and he expects them all to understand what he's saying. So this is not beyond us. This is something that we, we need to hear. We need to uh, pay attention to. We need to understand. And uh, one thing that my kids in Spain tease me about is, that, is the following statement I'm going to make, is that we are all, and you are all, theologians. And... Uh, I remember saying that for the first time, and there was a little lady over in the, on the right, my left-hand side that said, I'm not. She was about 80 years old, I guess. And I said, in Karna, you are. You are. I'm not saying you're a good theologian, but I'm saying you are a theologian. And, and what Paul is trying to do here is instill in us good theology. And uh, he doesn't wait till the middle of chapter 1 to start. He starts right from the beginning. And um, that's what we want to see this morning. We want to just look at his salutation, his introduction here. Sometimes um, you get a letter that says, Dear Larry, well, okay. You go right on to the body of the letter to find out what's going on. Paul says, Dear Romans. And he starts right from the beginning with these words of salutation to tell us something about the gospel. We know a couple things from this introduction that he is writing to believers in Rome. And he is establishing some biblical fundamentals with regard to the gospel. Uh, We learn some things very important to the gospel. Um... And he kind of starts this out with the, with the idea that he's saying something important for the, the whole church. He's giving us a, a, a manifest here of 
what it is that we, we need to be concerned about. And as we go through Romans, we realize that all of Romans is about the gospel. There are two basic words here that come out as being repeated time and time again. And the word that appears most is the word God. The second word that appears is, in line of usage in the book, is, is gospel. Paul is, is emphasizing God. And if you emphasize God, you're talking about theology. Period. And uh, he's emphasizing the gospel. Well, right here at the beginning, he tells us something. Well, let, let me just go beyond this a little bit, and we'll look at Romans 16. We'll go back to the first seven, chap- seven verses, but here in Romans 1.16, I'm sorry, 1.15, let's start there. And uh, he says, uh, thus for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. All right, Paul is eager. And remember now, just to throw in a uh, little bit of propaganda here, remember where he's going. He's already, he's telling them later on, he's telling them that he's going to Spain, but he is going to stop in Rome. And on my way to Spain, I'm going to go to Rome. And uh, apparently, Apparently, he had let this slip earlier, and he hadn't gone to Rome, and they were kind of concerned that he maybe had changed his mind. And apparently, that reading between the lines, maybe this is what happened. But um, he says, I'm, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you there in Rome. And he says this, and it's interesting. This book is addressed to believers. It's the church in Rome. And yet he's preaching the gospel to them. I would... Uh, I think that's important for us to understand. I think one thing is we need to hear the gospel over and over again. That's one part of it. The other part is I think the gospel is a lot more broad than just some simple truths about salvation. So that um, taking those things, two things into account, I think we find that in, in, uh, in uh, Romans. And he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. The wrath, I'm sorry, the wrath of God is revealed. Uh, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men and who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And I think there's three, there's three points to his, his uh, book here, his letter. And he's going to start with the last point and go through the first four and a half or four chapters or so talking about it. And he starts with what he says here last. He says, the wrath of God is revealed. The gospel of God reveals the wrath of God. Now, we don't think about it that way. You know, the gospel is all about love, isn't it? But the Bible, Paul says, God is angry. Whoa, that's probably not politically correct. I'm probably getting in trouble for saying that in some places in this world. 
But that's what the Bible says. He does that, and he starts now to, de to develop that whole theme. Why God is angry. Why the wrath of God is revealed. And he does a very good job at it. He leaves no man with excuse. Later on, he will uh, expound the righteousness of God, which is also revealed in the scripture. And then he will talk about the power of God in salvation. And he will expound these things in Romans. But he begins with the wrath of God. And this is just to give you an idea that the gospel is much broader than we, we think many times. We, keep this, we need to keep this in mind when we look at Romans. It's much, there's much more there than just simple belief. Belief is important. Faith, faith is important. Paul starts out by saying that he has been set apart for the gospel of God. Back to verse 1 of chapter 1. It's the gospel of God. And we, this is something we need to understand. And we need to understand it for our day. It is the gospel of God. Now, when we say that, we can think of several different ways to take that. It's the gospel of God. In, in Greek, it's, it's, it's easy, but it's not easy. Because there's a couple different ways we can take it in Greek as well. It can be the gospel of God in the sense that God, it is God's gospel. It belongs to him. He owns the copyright. He owns it. So, are you tempted to change the gospel? Are you tempted to, to not expound the whole gospel because it might be offensive to someone? If, you, if I take somebody's book and I, I tear out the, the page that says who the author is and I write my name in that book, that's, that's illegal. That's against the law. It's not my book. I'm not the author of that book. This is not our gospel. It's God's gospel. It belongs to him. All right? Secondly, it's not only God's gospel, it is the gospel of God. It's about God. It talks about him. He is the one at the center of the gospel. Yeah. As we sang this morning, it's not about me. It's about him. Yes, it affects my life. Yes, it does something for me that is fantastic. It's unbelievable. But it's not about me. It's about him. And what he does for sinful, guilty sinners. It's the gospel of God. When we think of God, and I would, I would uh, take umbrage with one phrase that appeared in one of those choruses this morning talks about he was, he was Lord of the heavens before time. And I would say that there's a, there's a small little error there. Because before time, there was no heavens. All right? It wasn't until he created that there are heavens and earth. He didn't need heavens to be God. And he created the heavens and the earth for us. And he created time for us. 
And uh, in, in the many things Einstein got right, one of the things that, was, that he got right was that E equals MC squared. And one thing that E equals MC squared proves is that time and material things have something in common. They can't exist apart, they exist together. So when God put it into, into being, when he created it with the word, the power of his words, it now exists. It exists time and material and, and, and uh, the physical things, the heavens and the earth, and there is time. One thing, when we're talking about God, we need to keep in mind, this God of the gospel is the God of creation. He created it all. He's the one that Isaiah says that he measured the seas in the palm, in the hollow of his hand. And he measured the heavens with the span of his, of his hand. God does that. That is the God we worship, and it's the God of this gospel. So when, when we preach the gospel, we need to be very, very careful. We have an obligation. We have a mandate. Paul is, is setting it down for the church here. We have something we are responsible for. We are to proclaim the gospel. And it's the gospel of God. So we, we can't say, well, th this bit is, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't sound right in our day. This bit about resurrection and death and you know, that's kind of bloody, isn't it? And uh, the crucifixion and, and, and all this, it just really kind of is offensive. And one, uh, it is. That's true. The gospel will be offensive. Jesus said it. You preach the gospel and you'll be, you'll be knocked down. You follow me and you'll suffer for it. You're faithful to my word and people will kill you. But we must be faithful. He is our creator. He is the creator. This is his gospel. And it's his gospel and it's about him. All the apostles knew this. John knew it when he wrote John, the gospel of John, in the beginning. What was from the beginning, we have, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld and our hands handled. Right there, there's some words that, that just offended people to no end in the Greek culture. John says, our hands have handled him. Yeah, so what? We, we were there, we embraced him, he, we hugged him, we, we followed him, he, he, he gave us his hand and he touched us. And, but the Greek culture would have just laughed them to shame. Why? Because... True spirituality does not have body. But Christ came in flesh. And that just offended people to no end. At least the Greek philosophers, anyway. It is the gospel of God. Paul says, I am not ashamed of that gospel. The gospel is our mandate. As we know from Matthew chapter 28, we are commanded to proclaim that gospel. 
But the gospel is as well our method. It's our method in the sense that it is something that he has that he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, the method of the gospel is to present the Scriptures. It's the Word of God. I was just talking about this with a brother yesterday, and we were were talking about this very thing, how important it is for the Word of God to be proclaimed. Because it's what the Holy Spirit uses to reach the hearts of men and women. And frankly, when I come back to the United States, I see it in Spain too, but you know, you kind of expect it with all the strange influences in Spain. But you come back to the United States and, 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 and it's entertainment time. It's, I don't know what it is, it's a show. I went back to my own home church and I, at one point, and it wasn't this time, but another time I went, and it was more like I remember TV being presented on television, you know, the Johnny Carson show, you know, here's Johnny. And it was, it was kind of, it was just so shocking. What happens with missionaries is we go away for five years or four years or six years and you change everything. You didn't even ask us. And, and that's what happens. It's just kind of like seeing life in, in, in time-lapse photography. And so often, we're using worldly methods, worldly things to accomplish spiritual ends. When God has given us his gospel, he's given us the scriptures, by the which we proclaim the gospel, And we ought not to depart from that. It's an old method, and it's an old way of doing things, but it's the way that God's given us. No? We are countercultural. There's just no way about it. If we're truly Christian, we're going against the stream. We're we're trying to swim upriver. And we've got to keep this in mind. Our method is the Word of God. The gospel is revealed to the apostles as it is recorded in Scripture, and that's all of the Scripture. When Paul was writing to the Romans, and when Paul went to see the Romans, what Scripture did they have? Well, they had his letter. You know, that was a part of it. They might have had Mark, the gospel, But it's very likely in 56 or 57 A.D., they had nothing more than that. So what scripture they had? They had the Old Testament, and that was it. And they preached the gospel from the Old Testament. Wait a minute, you can't do that. Yes, you can. Remember what Christ did with the men on the road to Emmaus? He explained the whole thing about the Messiah from the Old Testament. The prophets and the law. He did it. We too can do that, but we can't ignore the Old Testament. The whole word of God, beginning the Old Testament, 
predicts the gospel, it prefigures the gospel, and then it's fulfilled in the New Testament. And we need the whole word of God to convey that information. Paul understood it well. First Corinthians, he, to the Corinthians, he says, he says that he was raised the third day according to the scriptures, Old Testament. He was raised the third day according to the scriptures. The implications for, me, for this method, the, the scriptural method, is that we have but one gospel. There's no other. And it's effective and it's true in all cultures. North America, Europe, wherever, it's true. Now, there's some things that need to be done. Maybe we need to translate it. Maybe we need to present it in such a way as that it, it makes sense in that culture. But it's the gospel. It cannot be changed. It must be proclaimed as it is from the word of God. Paul says, I kept nothing back, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. The gospel is under attack. The Bible is under attack. We as evangelicals, even as conservative Christians, we tend to find ourselves in a little bubble. And we don't know what's happening out there, but there's all kinds of attacks on, on Christianity. From atheists from, and from supposed Christians. The Bible, oh, well, see, yeah, the Bible's important, but it's, you know, it doesn't get carried away with it here. Let's, let's just realize that it's a man-made book and, and it really has nothing to do with, with reality and one thing or another. And there's all kinds of attacks right from within the supposed Christian community. We must work against that. We must defeat that if at, all, if at all possible. The gospel, it's the word of God, it's our method. And in third place, it is our message. Verses 3 and 4, we've, you know, we've celebrated the Lord's table today. We've, we've sung that it, it's not about me, it's about you, Lord and the content of the gospel, verse 3, concerning his son. It was promised beforehand through the prophets, the, the books of the Old Testament and the prophets, concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the message. It's all about him. He is the message. But let's not forget that he is also, as the Bible says, he's the one that created. He created. God the Son was there to superintend creation. He has the power over all of creation. He has the power to stop the sea. He has the power to lower the mountains. It's all about him. And it's about him being a man. We come to Christmas time, we think of the child in the manger. 
And, and that's, that's a precious thing. It truly is. And yet, if we leave him there, if he's nothing other than a child, as Catholicism does many times, he's just a child in the manger. It can't be. We need to remember that that thought, that view of Jesus as being a child in the manger, is a sign of his humiliation. The creator of heaven and earth is reduced to a child that's helpless in a manger. He is reduced to nothing in a real sense. He is humiliated by this. He has taken on human form. And yet he doesn't remain so. He becomes the man that goes to the cross. And he's crucified for his church, for his people. He is crucified for salvation's sake. And yet he does not remain there either. Catholicism would leave him on the, on the cross. Christ is pictured as a babe in the manger or a, 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 a dead man on a cross. But the gospel says that he was resurrected. And by doing, being resurrected, he is proclaimed the very Son of God. Man, yes. God, yes. Truly man, truly God. This is the one we worship. This is the one that's proclaimed. Jesus the Christ. This idea of resurrection, of course, is, was not popular then. It's not popular now. The idea that man is a sinner was not popular then. It's not popular now. The idea that Jesus would have to die for sinful men, that our sin is so grave, so enormous, that there is nothing that we human beings can do about that sin. And we need to be saved by the perfect Savior. It is innate in man to try to figure out what he can do to please the divine, the divinities. Paganism is full of that. Catholicism is full of that. What do I do to please God? I can do nothing. But I need the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ in my heart, in my life. And if I don't have that, I have nothing. I have eternity in hell to, 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 to expect. And that's another thing we can't talk about is hell. But that's part of the gospel. It also talks about our ministry. What are we to do? We are to call um, from the people from among all the Gentiles. Verse 5. People are to be called from among the Gentiles. We're living with some friends in in near Pasadena in Los Angeles. And if, you, if you're at all familiar with Pasadena, the, the 210 runs east to west, west to east. It cuts right through Pasadena and Arcadia. We're living in Arcadia. The north side 
if you can speak English and Spanish, you get along just fine. The South Side, you've got to speak Japanese, Korean, Chinese, and I don't know what else. Uh, but it's encouraging to me because I drive around, there's some things I need to do on the south side of the freeway, and so I drive around over there, and I see, every once in a while I see a little Baptist church. And it's, in English it says Chinese Baptist church, and of course the letter, all the rest of the lettering is in Chinese. But that's encouraging. God is doing a work among the Chinese in, in Los Angeles. Praise God. One thing he's done for us, he's brought the mission field to the United States, hasn't he? And uh, whether it's Muslim or Chinese, Buddhist, or whatever it is, we have an opportunity to reach these people here and now. don't even need to walk very far. So we are to call people from all the nations and proclaim to them this gospel. Preach this gospel. Now, we, I know we do this in, in our circles here in the United States. I just don't, haven't quite been able to take it in yet because I don't quite understand it. We talk about sharing the gospel. And I, what I find in the scriptures is that we are to proclaim or to preach the gospel. And uh, I don't know about sharing it. We are to proclaim it. Some people won't, don't want it. They're going to refuse it. And uh, they're going to they're blaspheme God and they're going to kick us in the knee or whatever it is, but they don't want to hear it. But that, is, that doesn't make any difference. We are to proclaim the gospel. And that might be through a life lived for Jesus. It might be through the words we speak. However it is, we need to proclaim it, not just share it. I think, share, I think the word share, we use it, I understand. I'm not going to try to change your English, but I, I, I like the word proclaim better. What is our mission? Our mission is to bring about the obedience of faith. This again tells us something about the gospel. You know, when, it, when Peter was preaching and he finished, he said, they asked him, what do we do? What do we do? Peter says, repent and believe. Now in English, we don't distinguish that. In Spanish and in Greek, it's distinguished quite well. That's a command. Those are command words. Do it. Repent. Believe. The gospel demands that. It demands obedience. It demands obedience in the sense that we are to come under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to bow the knee to him. Repent from our sinful ways and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other. It's, it's the commandment of God. Repent and believe. And in this all, we have one motivation. When we come to the end here, Paul says we are to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, or all the nations, it is, for his name's sake. Why do we do this? We want a name for ourselves? No. We want a notch on our belt? No. This is done for God's glory, for his name's sake, that his name might be glorified. 
He is building a church for himself, not for us, but for himself. Now, those have benefits, clear benefits for us, but it's for his name's sake. And somehow we've lost that. It's become gooey, sticky Christianity. It's become teddy bear Christianity or something. I don't know how to say that in English, but it is, is a weak-kneed Christianity that, that just presents things in, the, in terms of, a, of, a, of a, one of these novels that some people, I won't even say ladies, I'll say some people read, you know. It's just kind of ooey-gooey. Uh, it's for him. It's for his glory. He saves people for his glory. It is for his namesake. Yes, there is joy in serving Jesus. There is joy in following him. There is joy in seeing people saved. But above all, it's for the glory of his name. That is our motivation. Paul, when he finishes the the, God, the, the book of Romans, he says these words, is, is signing off. He says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the ministry which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. I would say the Bible doesn't really say much about people who say they're Christians but aren't obedient to his word. We need to be obedient to his word. Whether that's going to the mission field, and we'd love to have more people on the mission field, or whether it's being a Christian, living a Christian life right here in Ferndale, Washington, we have a responsibility. We have a mandate from God, and that is the gospel, to be proclaimed widely to all the nations, and we have that job, and let us do it. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you that we have an infallible word that guides and leads us. But more than that, we thank you for the salvation that you've given us through Jesus Christ. We praise the name of Jesus for the fact that he came as a child, became a man, gave his life for sinful creatures like us, was raised manifesting the reality of his divine nature. And he's bringing together a church for his name's sake. We thank you, Father, for all these things. Help us to be faithful servants in the ministry of the gospel. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.